Welcome to Orphan Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and there is no point in any further postponement or equivocating in the introducing of the most delightsome of presenters. So please welcome hospitably and with courtesy, the charming and charismatic Lydia. What'd he say? (laughs) (laughs) Well, hi, thank you so much for the verbose and eloquent welcome you provided. (laughs) Oh wow! Very good. You picked out you picked out big words. I had to look mine up. <laughs> I've been accused of using five dollar words before. <laughs> How have you been? I've been well, but I'd be doing a little better if I had seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Uh, especially you know nineteen thirty three. Thirteen million by today's standards. Yeah. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> well, listen. Before we go any further, we should. Uh, first, thank everyone for tuning in, and secondly, to make sure that any new listeners know that they can listen and subscribe to this show via Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, Spotify, Podchaser.com, or whatever podcast app you choose. And wherever you listen, if you have the option to do so, please rate and review the show, because that makes it a little easier for other people to find us. If you are a Facebook user, there's a group that you can join. This is a great place to find out what we're going to be covering next and an easy place to leave any comments on the films or episodes. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just search for Orphaned Entertainment. And there you can watch many of the films we've covered here on the podcast. And if you'd like to email us with any comments, suggestions, or feedback on this or any episode, please type or record a message and send it to orphanedentertainment at gmail.com. All these links are on our webpage over at, you guessed it, orphanedentertainment.com. We've a, and Lydia, we have a script for a five minute mystery. Woo-hoo, we do. I was so excited to see that. I'm yes. so excited. <laughs> our good friend Pete Quint of the Good Beer Bad Movie Night podcast was feeling inspired one day <laughs> and <laughs> fired it off and sent it to us. And I could not be happier. I think I it's, it. it's, a, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, I think we'll have a fun time. We, now we gotta we gotta work on actually producing it. There is a a third character at least. We're gonna have to do some casting. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's gonna be a lot of fun to do. So thank you very much, Pete, for uh, sending that in to us. Yes, thank you. So let's go ahead and listen to one of the old five minute mysteries and a promo for another podcast. I think I'll throw in the Good Beer Bad Movie Night podcast the promo. And when we return, we will discuss 1932's. Comedy? Speak easily. Another five-minute mystery. afternoon in the sheriff's office at the old city hall building, which also serves as county seat and police headquarters for a group of small northwestern towns. Well, I tell you, Johnny, that air old trout down by the railroad bridge made a fool out of me for the last time. Think he'll take that new fly, huh? Yeah. Ain't a fish alive could turn down this spotted hackle I tied on last night. As soon as the sun gets a little lower in the sky, I'm gonna... Yeah. Hello. Yes, this police headquarters. What? Down by the river? I'll tell the sheriff right away. 
Hey, what's the trouble, Charlie? You look a little peaked there. What's the It's them two city fellas. They was fishing out behind the old Johnson farm. Now one of them's dead. I left Uncle Bill's body just the way I found it, Sheriff. My name is Harold Kendall. His name was Olson. Yeah, looks like he tripped on the roots at the edge of this steep bank, smashed his head against them rocks down by the water. I can't believe Uncle Bill is really dead. Yeah, well, ain't no use letting the body hang there by its feet. Doc Simpson, the coroner, is on his way out here. Yeah, easy, Charlie. Yep, careful them air roots here. Looks of this blood all over his face and on his shirt, he must have skinned himself up pretty bad. No. All the blood come from this one gash here inside of his head. Hey, you say this man was your uncle? Yes, I'm what you might call his favorite nephew. He was a bachelor. Didn't like most of his relatives. Where was you when he fell? Across the river, about 50 yards up. You can see the place from here. When I saw Uncle Bill fall... Yeah, you saw him fall. Yes, I, I didn't think it was serious at first. Uncle Bill was such a good fisherman... He was getting ready to cast his line. He walked up to the edge of the bank and... and... let's see. Well, that had put his back to the sun. Uh, that's right. Then before he could cast, he, he seemed to stumble and fall forward. After he fell, he just hung there with his feet tangled in the roots and his head against that sharp rock where Where he... you were so careful to put it. You're under arrest, Kendall, for murder. <laughs> How does the sheriff know it was deliberate murder? Do you know the clue? We'll have the answer in a moment, but first... Just how drunk are we gonna get? Welcome to Good Beer, Bad Movie Night, where each month we drink finely crafted brews while watching terrible films in order to see just how drunk you have to get to enjoy them. So tune in and join Troy... Killboy Kreitz! <laughs> oh, that was pretty good. Thank you. <laughs> Dave... I have the weirdest boner. And Pete. IPAs are ales, meaning they are bottom fermented. Excuse me, they are top fermented. I f- that up. <laughs> Try that again. As we drag Kathleen. Hear me. Kicking and screaming through an alcohol-fueled podcast dedicated to movies of questionable quality and the frosty adult beverages that help make them tolerable. Good beer, bad movie night. Clearly, it's the beer's fault. Now for the solution to our mystery. But I told you exactly what happened. Keep your eye on him, Charlie. You seem awful sure this fella done it, Sheriff. I, I don't see how you... And he lied to us twice, Charlie. And the way I figure, he stands to inherit some money from that uncle of his. That is, providing he got away with this here murder, which he didn't. It was easy enough for him to hit his uncle on the head with a rock and then rig his feet in them roots to look like he tripped and fell. Ah, but he made two mistakes. The first was when he told us his uncle was a good fisherman. No good fisherman would walk up to a stream with his back to the sun and his shadow falling on the water he intended to fish in. When he told us his uncle died hanging head down, I knew he was lying. There's blood all over his uncle's face and shirt. And blood don't run uphill any more than that there river does.
wasn't a whole lot of information about the film itself, so I will just jump to probably what would be uh, the biggest star. Certainly one of the two biggest stars is Buster Keaton. Uh, Jimmy Durante we talked about to, uh, to some degree when we saw him in The Great Rupert, I am, if I'm not mistaken. The movie about the squirrel. Right, yeah. <laughs> so we'll talk a little bit about Buster Keaton. Born Joseph Keaton to a vaudeville family in Piqua, Kansas. His father owned a traveling show along with Harry Houdini called the Mohawk Indian Medicine Company, or sometimes the Keaton Houdini Medicine Show Company. I believe they actually toured and did performances, and from what I can understand by the name and a few little bits I've read, they would sell medicine, probably effectively snake oil salesmen. (laughs) Keaton acquired the nickname of Buster as a young child. One version of the story was that a family friend, actor George Parday, was present when the 18-month Keaton took a tumble down some stairs. Parday remarked to Keaton's father, he's a real buster. That's interesting. Yes, Keaton's father then began to use the nickname and it stuck. Keaton's own version of the story was that he was six months old and it was Harry Houdini himself who gave him the moniker. One of those might be true. <laughs> By the time he was three, Buster was traveling with his parents and performing on stage. The three Keatons first appeared in 1899. The act was largely a comedy routine and would involve the young Keaton goading his father by not obeying him, which would result in the elder Keaton throwing Buster around the stage, into scenery, the orchestra pit, and sometimes into the audience. The act evolved as Buster learned to take the trick fall safely. This act would sometimes and with good reason, in my opinion, lead to charges of child abuse against his father. Buster, however, could show to the authorities that he had no cuts, bruises, or broken bones. In a 1914 interview with the Detroit News, Buster said, The secret is in landing limp and breaking the fall with a foot or a hand. It's a knack. I started so young that landing right is second nature with me. Several times I'd have been killed if I hadn't been able to land like a cat. Imitators of our act don't last long because they can't stand the treatment. I also read, too, where they would actually sew, like, handles into his clothing so his dad could, you know, get a good grip mm-hmm. <laughs> when he threw him. Leave it. Not the kind of act you'd find today. Oh, no. <laughs> the act continued until his father's alcohol abuse threatened the reputation of a family act. So at 21, Buster and his mother left for New York, where Buster easily moved from vaudeville to film. In February 1917, Keaton met Roscoe Fatty Arbuckle at the Talmadge Studios in New York City, where Arbuckle was under contract to Joseph Schenk. During his first meeting with Arbuckle, he was asked to jump in and start acting. Buster was such a natural when making his first film, The Butcher Boy, he was hired on the spot. At the end of the day's work, he asked to borrow one of the cameras to get a feel for how it worked. He took the camera back to his hotel room where he dismantled it and reassembled it by morning. Keaton later claimed that he was uh, soon Arbuckle's second director in his entire gag department. He appeared in a total of 14 Arbuckle shorts running into 1920. After Keaton's successful work with Arbuckle, Schenck gave him his own production unit, Buster Keaton Productions. Keaton's most enduring feature-length films include Our Hospitality in 1923, The Navigator in 1924, Sherlock Jr., also in 24, Seven Chances in 25, and The Cameraman in 28, and The General in 1926. 
The General, set during the American Civil War, combined physical comedy with Keaton's love of trains, including an epic locomotive chase. He actually sent a real locomotive off a real burning bridge into a river. It was an expensive misfire, and Keaton was never entrusted with total control over his films again. His distributor, United Artists, insisted on a production manager who monitored expenses and interfered with certain story elements. Keaton endured this treatment for two more feature films and then exchanged his independent setup for employment at Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer. MGM tried teaming the more subdued Keaton with the rambunctious Jimmy Durante in a series of films. The Passionate Plumber, Speak Easily, and What? No Beer? I'm not sure what that last one's about, but it's it's a great title. (laughs) In the first Keaton, Pictures with Sound, he and his fellow actors would shoot each scene three times. One in English, one in Spanish, and one in either French or German. The actors would phonetically memorize the foreign language scripts a few few lines at a time and shoot immediately after. This is discussed in the TCM documentary Buster Keaton, So Funny It Hurt, with Keaton complaining about having to shoot lousy films not just once but three times. (laughs) Keaton was so demoralized during the productions of 1933's What No Beer that MGM fired him after the filming was complete. Keaton was by this time also suffering from alcoholism, which very likely aided in his professional troubles. Keaton left uh, the States to do some independent films in Europe, and returning to the U.S., he made 16 two-reel comedies for education pictures. Keaton did return to MGM as a gag writer, supplying a lot of material for the last three Marx Brothers MGM films. Keaton would go on to work for Columbia Pictures for several years, and again return to MGM as a gag writer. By this time, he'd gotten his life a little bit more under control with the help from his marriage to MGM dancer Eleanor Norris. Television in the 1950s brought a bit of a revival for Keaton. He appeared on many comedy and variety shows. He appeared off and on throughout the 50s and 60s and film and television. His last major film appearance would be in the comedy A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. Even at 70 years of age and increasingly ill health, he was, unbeknownst to him, suffering from terminal cancer at the time, he did many of his own stunts. He was actually diagnosed with cancer in January of 66, but he was never told he was terminally ill. Keaton thought he was just recovering from a severe case of bronchitis. He passed away in his sleep in February of that same year. His widow actually said that he... uh, was pretty normal that night before. He was up and he's walking around, even had friends over for cards. And then he just, he went to sleep and didn't wake up, which Mm. if you're going to go, that's not a bad way to do it. (laughs) It's not a bad way at all. Because there's so much more to it than, I I I really just glossed over. Uh, There's a lot more to him and a lot more to his, his life and his story and his films. Definitely worth looking up. I have to admit, not being that familiar with Buster Keaton as an actor, uh, obviously, know the name Buster Keaton. Uh, okay. I've seen a lot of clips of you know the Buster Keaton silent films and everything, but yeah, I don't haven't watched a whole lot or, or any Buster Keaton films in you know as a whole. I, I'm in the same boat. I've I've heard of him, and I but I realized, especially as I started watching this the first time, I would not have recognized him. If you had shown me a, an image of him and said, hey, which really famous actor is this? I couldn't have told you. Uh, so I, I'm not sure that I've 
I had ever seen anything with him in it before. Yeah, I'm not sure if uh, if he was like if, in a lineup. Which one's Buster Keaton? I I don't know. Maybe that one. <laughs> by by process of elimination, maybe. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, Speak Easily from 1932 is about a shy Professor Post, played by Buster Keaton who is convinced by his assistant that he has inherited $750,000. He sets off to see the world and finally experience life. And while doing so, he meets a traveling acting troupe led by James, played by Jimmy Durante. He becomes smitten with their lead dancer, Pansy Peets, and through circumstances becomes the manager of the troupe and decides to take them to New York to play Broadway. Misunderstandings, gags, and revelations ensue. (laughs) I wanted to say hilarity ensued, but not to bury the, to bury the lead, but. <laughs> <laughs> that awkward silence. And, and in a way, there's a theme running there because there are kind of a lot of awkward silences in this movie. Yeah, maybe a few. There are, there are a couple. <laughs> maybe unintentional ones. Even. Yeah. I was interested in doing this one, uh, mainly because it was a Buster Keaton. And like I said, I wasn't really experienced with his film work. So I thought, oh, this is a great chance to, to, to see him. And then teamed up with uh, Jimmy Durante. Okay, he's kind of like mm-hmm. you know, one of those comedy legends from the time. I definitely thought it would be an interesting one to take a look at. I mean, the plot of it and everything is very much, the whole thing is just, it's a farce. <laughs> the very idea of his assistant, oh, I, I, I really like the guy. I want him to be happy, so I'm going to pretend, write this letter and pretend that he's inherited this money so he'll go off and, oh, and I didn't... So he'll loosen up. <laughs> yeah, I didn't expect him to withdraw his life savings. And, like, what did you expect exactly? <laughs> <laughs> Considering that... Potts is not the kind of guy that will go to a college mixer at a college he works at because he's not formally invited. Keaton's character in this is a hard sale. Yes. To put it kindly. Uh, he, he, is, he misunderstands slang to the point of, what is the word I want? Well, I'll tell you what. I'll give you, I'll give you kind of a uh, modern equivalent. And this is who he reminded me of, his, this character anyway. He reminded me of Jim Parsons from Big Bang Theory. Oh, yeah, totally. You don't know what I'm never talking about. I've never seen that. <laughs> I've never well, Lydia, seen everyone it. That's else. That's true. I've seen part. I know everybody else is like, oh, but I'm like. That's is that the Indian guy? <laughs> is he? Is he even? No, this this would I'm be so Sheldon, tired. the character of Sheldon. <laughs> don't get paid for. Oh, well, if you'd said Sheldon, I would have oh, known sorry. what he meant. And you know what? Yeah, I think that's probably a very close equivalent. Yes. Um, with the, well, no, there's, you you could almost say that Sheldon is a caricature of Professor Potts. Mm-hmm. I mean. He's so in like unbelievably I, I would and I'm using air quotes, he's overly intelligent. Yes. And extremely naive. <laughs> it's it's not your fault that's like my least favorite caricature of any so, social group. <laughs> <laughs> I know a lot of nerds, what can I say? Uh it's yeah. So Back to Potts. <laughs> Post. It was Professor uh, Post. Oh, it is yes. Post. He, which is funny because he works at Potts College. Right. That's a- which 
it seems to be a reoccurring name with Keaton and Durante, but I don't know if that's just a fluke or if it just happens to pop up because they just like using mm. pods. But Post, thank you. Professor Post is not, he doesn't seem very old in the movie. No. And he's, and at one point they say he's learned everything, but does it, do they say how to have fun? Yeah, something like that, or just how to live or something. How did that's, you're yeah. exactly right. It's how to live. He's learned everything but how to live. And so he's very, very bookish and very book smart, but, but book smart to the exclusion of any other type of intelligence, uh, social, uh, conversational, sexual intelligence. He's got none at right. all. You almost could argue that this man has probably never been in the presence of a woman, certainly never alone in the presence of a woman in his entire life. I think I mean, you maybe not even his mother. I, trust me, you <laughs> don't have the experience of watching Big Bang Theory, but had you, if you watched and at all, I'm familiar with the awkwardness. Uh, and if you would see Sheldon, I swear you will see these two characters yeah. are almost identical. I think so. I, what I have seen, I, I agree. I think they're very, very close with the possible exception that post actually seems to be more serious. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe. <laughs> uh, so he, he's not the only character in this movie. He does run into Pansy and played by Ruth Selwyn, whom we're not, I, I don't think we're going to, offer any interesting insight on because she did uh, maybe a dozen titles and and I think is a really charming girl. I think she's sweet looking and seems personable and doesn't overact. She's fine. She's great. Uh, but she just didn't didn't do very much in, in Hollywood in Hollywood, right. I should say. Uh, I'm going to go so, out on a limb and say that she's probably one of those women that she acted and then she got married. Yeah, or or she acted because somebody asked her to do a favor or, and was like, I know she was married to somebody that was involved in, oh, I'm doing this horribly, I'm sorry. That's all right, I'm afraid I, I didn't actually look she her up, I should have. She was sister. Her brother is actually the director of Lassie Come Home and Forbidden Planet. Her brother, Fred McLeod Wilcox, oh. directed Forbidden Planet. Interesting. And so it's very easy to believe that she maybe did a movie as a favor or maybe said, oh, yeah, I'm interested. And they said, no, she's pretty good. Get her in there. But she didn't blow him away. Her nemesis in this movie is played by Thelma mm -hmm. Todd, a name that I know and was actually surprised to realize I knew her name, but had no idea who she was. Yeah, I recognized the name as soon as I saw the credits, that it was like, oh, it's Buster Keaton and, mm -hmm. and Jimmy Durante and Thelma Todd. I was like, okay, I know that name, but yeah, she's just sort of a uh, one of the blonde bombshells <laughs> of the... Uh, she was actually a little ahead of her time. You could easily see her in the 1950s, you know, going toe-to-toe -to -toe with uh, Marilyn yes. Monroe or something well, like uh, that, or Jane Mansfield. Being or, a Catherine Hepburn. Be, being that mm -hmm. up in in your face kind of girl, so I she was in 1931 in the Maltese Falcon. Uh, she she was mm -hmm. in quite a few, I think, in a few titles that you recommend that you'd recognize. Though she may not have played the lead character in all of them, and um, and she's interesting. I the some of the information I came across regarding Thelma Todd, you could tell that the the person that was doing the writing had a, lo a passionate love affair with her, um, you know, talking about how, you know, lovely she is and her, her melodious voice, which 
I think she was fine. <laughs> and uh, But the character herself also is doing everything she can to ruin Professor Post for his money, of course. So, <laughs> so mm-hmm. I, it may not be a fair character to judge her by. Because it's not, there's not much depth to it, and certainly she's a woman of ill repute. And I would think she's a perfect example, and I think everyone, you could describe them as less characters and more caricatures. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think she she definitely had a little bit of, there's a bit with her and her brother where they are acting out the part to entrap Professor Post. And I and I really enjoyed it. Like, you know, you can see them. He's not in the room and they're kind of setting up this conversation they're having that he can hear through the door. You know, the brothers are angry and all that. And I, I enjoyed that little bit because you could see that these characters probably were decent actors, even though her character in the in the show while acting is not a good actress <laughs> at all <laughs> she's a bit overdone but it this I, I feel like this is a little bit of a hard movie to talk about partly because um to me all of the enjoyment was the side characters yes every every scene was saved by the the, the servant or by jimmy or by the the stage director who was I think my favorite. Thank character. you. Same. <laughs> it's the same. Um, was that the one? Um, oh, I had his name, and now I. I... It's Sidney Toller. Oh, thank and, you. Yes, there she, it is, right there, stage director. And his face is so familiar, and I almost think he played. Um, he did. He played. Charlie yeah, I was just Chan. gonna say his most famous role was that <laughs> of uh, Charlie Chan. I think he was the third actor to portray him on screen. I couldn't tell you, but it is funny because when you pull when I pulled him up earlier, his profile photo in, of course, IMDb is Charlie Chan, who, <laughs> which is funny because no, it's not. It's Sydney Toller, but you see it and you don't think, oh, that's Sydney Toller. You think, oh, it's Charlie <laughs> yeah. Chan. Um, so it's really funny because it's obviously it's a diversion from his best known, probably best known character. But he's really enjoyable. He's just this guy that's just trying to make a hit out of this dog god awful <laughs> show. It's just god awful show. It's so bad. I'm sorry, but uh, out of the. I door. would suggest. Oh, yeah, Prof. Morning, everybody. Oh, oh uh, James, uh, we've been uh, waiting for you. Uh, Mr. Rayburn has seen our entertainment. I have seen your show, but not your entertainment. Well, what does he mean? Oh, he's kidding. No, I'm not kidding, Professor. Broadway stands for a lot of baloney, but it will never digest a piece of tripe like this. Uh, I don't understand. No, I suppose not. Then I'll try to make myself perfectly clear. After 30 years of stage directing, this is the worst show I have ever seen. I went over all right, didn't I? Oh, you'll be all right after I've toned you down and polished you up. Well, I think James is exceedingly funny. Say, I killed him in Clay Center. Yeah, well, in New York, it'll probably be the reverse. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's so good. So I love they say, you know, see, you've seen our entertainment. He says, well, I've seen your show, but I haven't seen your entertainment. <laughs> uh, he does have some of the... Same here. I think he's my favorite character in the film, and he has some of the best lines because he kind of plays... I want to say almost like the straight man to both to almost everybody... Well, I don't know if mm-hmm. no, straight man's the Definitely. right name, but there's a, another moment where he's, uh, Jimmy Durante is banging some you know, song out on the keyboard. <laughs> I 
What a day. What a day for old insomnia. Oh, never mind that. Never mind. What about the music for the rowing number? The rowing number? Yeah. <laughs> I wrote that this morning. Get a load of this melody. You, you wrote that this morning? Yeah. It's something they remember. Yeah, I remember it already. You know, they'll come out of the theater whistling that tune. They'll go into the theater whistling it. It is slightly reminiscent of singing in the rain. No, this is different. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. <laughs> so it's funny. It's one of those things where I learned a lot from this movie, but, <laughs> but not what I expected to. I didn't know singing in the rain was a song before the movie. Yeah, yeah. But this is, you know, 20 years that before the movie. Yeah, you know, it came out in the 30s and it was a modest success, but it didn't gain its <laughs> like, you know, huge status until the film, the musical the came movie. out. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I so Sydney Toller's just fabulous in this. And Jimmy Durante has a kind of a sidekick called Reno, played by a guy who seems so familiar, and I'm sure he's in fifty other things. His name's Edward Brody. Yeah, that's another it's a weird uh, last name that just sort of sticks out and it's like I I wonder why, but maybe it's just because it's an odd name. <laughs> He's in The Thin Man. Ooh, that's, there, why, that's why you know him, I'm sure. He's, he, yep, he's, oh, he's the, if you've ever seen the first Thin Man, he's the boyfriend <laughs> of the woman that they're trying to get the information. You know what I meant. Anyway, he's Morelli. That's fabulous. Um, I, I love that I actually do know who he is because he was my second favorite character, aside from Jimmy Durante, but Jimmy Durante is a caricature He's his, he's his himself. He's a, he's a vaudeville guy and you don't, I mean, he has some funny one-liners and all that, but you don't think of him as a character. They even call him Jimmy through half of it. I just think of it as, as himself. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. <laughs> I don't really think of him as a character. And there are many times where Jimmy Durante is playing to an audience that isn't there. Uh, sometimes literally there's one time where he sits down into the piano and he starts playing a song and he's like looking into the camera and smiling with that like little knowing glance like oh yep you know this tune (laughs) like who who are you smiling at who are you talking to yeah so he's uh he's got the sidekick reno who near the apex of the movie is working with the stage director to try and get things to go the way they're supposed to. Of course, everything is going yeah. mad because it's, this is a slapstick. In case yeah, you Reno, know, Reno, help him find his thing and stay here where I can find you. <laughs> <laughs> so those two guys to me made, made the movie bearable. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's going to sound like such an insult. It is a little rough. I think if you're a big Buster Keaton fan uh, you might find this more entertaining than someone walking into it as his, his, the first Buster Keaton film. Um, there's some great physical comedy. Buster Keaton is, no, without a doubt, a fantastic physical comedian. Uh, the, the, the stunt work and the physical comedy, if that's your thing kind of thing, <laughs> it's, there's a lot of it in here, and you'll really, you might really enjoy it. That also kind of takes away from the rest of the film a little bit too, because that's where it's like a little too over the top to be believable. 
it relies, I think, too heavily on the slapstick. And the slapstick is, I don't think it's well paced. Uh, there are moments, definitely, the first, the first scene of the movie is a great example. There are awkward pauses in between lines. And in his, uh, his servant, whose name I can't think of right now, the one that, right, that forges the letter, he'll say a line and then there's just like a couple of beats before Keaton will deliver his line back. And I don't, I, I'm, <laughs> he shatners. No, he doesn't shatner. <laughs> it's not that he speaks slowly. It's that he, it's almost like he's waiting for an audience laugh before he says. I was going to say, it's either that or it's like he's glancing at the cue card. Yes. So there, there, 1932 was a rough year for Buster Keaton. Uh, he was spiraling into alcoholism. He was in the process of going through his uh, divorce with his first wife, losing his children, his home, everything pretty much that he had built right. up in, you know, the decades beforehand. And after I learned that, watching this movie the second time made me wonder if this, the painful moments in this movie are not the product of that. Mm-hmm. Um, they all the painful moments in this movie seem to revolve around Keaton being a little slow on the uptake. And at first I thought it was the character being slow on the uptake. But I don't think you can I don't think you can chalk it up to that. It, it it's either an overacting it's either overacting on his part or it is a, a failure to act on his part. Everybody else is punchy with their lines and gets them out where they need to. The reactions are quick. The direction is smooth. And unfortunately, this is a Buster Keaton movie where Buster Keaton completely fails to deliver. I feel like I just gave, like, my wrap-up speech <laughs> in the middle of this No, of this no it is true. There are times, as far as, like, acting, he doesn't give you what you really want in this movie. He relies too heavily on... Yeah, I don't really feel into this, but let me do a pratfall and try so I can mm-hmm. get a laugh instead of actually putting anything into what I'm saying. I'll just no I'll just uh, exaggerate, you know, and I'll I'll grab the letter and throw them myself to the floor and like smooth out the letter. Mm-hmm. And it, yeah, there's too too much of stuff well, where it's over. Yeah, yeah, it's over enunciating instead of acting. It's it's very. It would have made sense as a stage play. It would make sense as a vaudeville. It would make act. sense as a silent. It would make sense as a silent film. And I, I need to see more Keaton if I could just tell you. If I had to decide based on this movie alone, I would be very dubious. Mm-hmm. I did delve into a little bit of his silent stuff, and it is entertaining it, as silent slapstick goes. <laughs> Gosh, is my slip showing? I'm sorry. Did I just <laughs> incidentally throw out a personal opinion there as I said that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think if you like silent slapstick, then you probably will enjoy Buster Keaton. I mean, he's the kind of definitive. He and Charlie Chaplin made You're right. Um, I, I know there's a lot of argument for Harold Lloyd, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but as an actor... I, I, there's no emotion. I think you're exactly right. There's no emotion. There's no emotional projection. There's very little, if, if any reaction, a lot of it is just somebody will say something and he'll kind of blink once or twice and then he'll deliver the line. Yeah. And I think some of that is the character, but it maybe it was just a case of this wasn't the character for you, Buster. You know, 
that's possible. It's certainly not at Which this is... time of your life. If you're dealing with this much and you got a character that, for entertainment purposes, your entire character is reliant on the physical comedy in order to keep people mm-hmm. interested in your character, th- that doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree. Especially when you have, unfortunately, other characters around him that are being, that are funny, that are reacting and, and saying things in such a way that gives them just enough little edge to make them funny where I feel like there are lines in this movie that, that post could have said and they would have been hilarious. I feel like the first scene would have been very funny if it had been punchier. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's fine as it is there. There's so much of it. Like, uh, you know, the, the servant is saying, you know, oh, yes, I helped move the previous <laughs> professor to this couch and before he died, but it's there's it's too much setup. Mm-hmm. There needs to be reaction instead of setup. But it's all setup and no fault. Even the one of the earliest lines about uh, what is it? Some sort of I forget what they call it the uh, the festival or something that they that the college mm-hmm. is is doing. I forget what it was called. Mm-hmm. And the and the assistant asks him if you're going, and it's like, no, I'd rather sit here and you know read and whatever. And there's like no real emotion on the assistant's face. And then Buster mm. uh, Post turns around and says, you know I'm lying, don't you? And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, do, yeah. does he? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where you, you yeah. want it, you need it a little bit more. If you're going to have someone like Post, a character that is does everything with such exaggeration, you kind of need to mm. pair, yes. pair him with someone that is also going to you know, give that very obvious knowing look on their face. Not, okay, now I'll wait here for the next line. Which is mm-hmm. kind of what I felt he was doing, and like mm, that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But then though the yes. the little scene where after he, he reads the letter and he thinks he's inherited all this money and he's ready and he's get my trunk and he does all that running around and he starts throwing anything and everything into the trunk just because he's manic. Mm-hmm. I actually think okay, that's actually kind of funny. That actually yes. works, and because then the yes. assistant has to be that sort of. The, the calm and the collective Stolen. one the and the man. straight man and like, yes. no, no, not the bed. You can't put the bed in there. Uh, that part works. But everything that leads up to that, it's kind of like, could you give us a little something here? <laughs> yeah, there's there's dissonance. It, it, there, you have the, this character who's supposed to be incredibly intelligent and overly collected. And then he's running around crazy slapstick f- silly. And and I don't understand where the two are supposed to meet. They they just don't make sense as the same person. Yes. And you could have an incredibly intelligent. I think that's this is probably where you're talking about. Sheldon makes it work because he's not so ridiculously over the top slapstick. Right. That you're just like, wait, is this actually the same character? Yeah, he gets his laughs, laughs through the character of Sheldon not through getting caught up on a rope and swinging across the stage. Yes, which which is hilarious. And and even with this character it's funny. But the there's a discord where the character himself then is so proper that He doesn't acknowledge that this is happening to him at all. Yeah, it's it's bizarre. It's He's not in the I think that's the weirdest part is I would expect that kind of a character when he's hung up on a rope swinging around a stage to be like 
almost furious and telling people to stop laughing at mm-hmm. me. But instead, he just has like this doofus look on his face and is swinging around and around. And it's, it's like, I don't, how does the guy who's so intelligent that he literally can't understand slang go from being the most intelligent person in the room to being like totally dumbfounded by just being uh, like uh, on a rope? <laughs> it's just bizarre. Yes. It's super bizarre. So it's a, it's, I think the, yeah, I don't have a good explanation for it. It baffles me. No. <laughs> I want to have an explanation, but I don't. Yeah, well, I think it was a, they had a vehicle and they had a star <laughs> and they just, mm-hmm. uh, well, put them together. Mm-hmm. Uh, regardless of whether they was really right for the role or not. Mm-hmm. You know, they, you got Buster or, Keaton. Or whether the character was well. I, I'm sure there was some directional influence that somebody had that was misguided. Right. Maybe. Possibly. It's just that if you've got Buster Keaton, obviously you have to include physical comedy because that's, that's be what he comedy. does. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you saddle that physical comedy with this uh, mild-mannered, uh, extremely polite and, you know, proper professor... Mm-hmm. Yeah, doesn't really work. I you, you could have put Keaton in the role of James and found someone else for the professor mm-hmm. and and tweaked the script a little bit and I think that would have worked a little bit better. You know, mm-hmm. if this guy Potentially. yeah, with all this physical comedy was actually a member of the of the uh the acting troupe, it would mm-hmm. certainly make a little bit more sense. I wonder about that. I wonder what would have been the <laughs> ideal mix for this. It's so, it's so, it, the, I think part of the problem, the frustration for me is I still haven't worked out what about it is really the problem. Like it, all of these things are symptoms of it, but there's something that is just off with the character. And I, I again, in my mind, I go back to wondering if it's the, the period in his life where he just is struggling to get through it. Uh, and I do, I'm speculating. I don't know. I haven't read anything to indicate that. Clearly, I haven't spoken to him personally <laughs> and asked, hey, tell me, tell me, Buster, is this what was going on then? But I feel like there was potential for the character and somewhere along the way it missed us. I, I even feel like he wasn't necessarily the worst choice for the character. It's almost like he, he if he had been clumsy all the time, it would make sense. Or if he had been stiff and upright all the time, it would make mm-hmm. sense. But since he's stiff and upright half the time and completely clumsy the rest of the time, it feels like an act. That's right. Yeah, it's kind of one of these weird cases where you could describe the film as the parts being greater than the whole, but mm-hmm. the parts don't all go to the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Like if you had taken them apart and built them into two separate items, that would have been fine. <laughs> but try to it's like it's it's like it's got a third arm. Yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah. It it is. It's almost like you've got this story and all these characters, and then the minute you add in the professor, it all kind of falls apart. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking it's like a, a, a mix up at the at the distribution factory of like a set of Legos. You get <laughs> you get bag number one and bag number two. But bag number two goes to a different set, and but you're still trying to piece it together with the instructions that you have. <laughs> yeah, I think I just got it. Actually, I feel like if you had had Pansy and Eleanor, Eleanor, by the way, is who who's played by Thelma Todd. If you'd had these two women vying for James's attention, and had no professor involved, 
then this story would have made sense. Mm. But by tr- by trying to have two male leads involved here, and one of them is very likable, even though he's a ham and probably a, a con artist on the side and a horrible, horrible comedian. <laughs> That's Jimmy Durante, by the yes. way. Uh, by having one character that's so likable like that and then having another character that's just has no is so completely clueless you know i've been wanting to talk to you for a long long time we should have some place where we can just sort of uh, get together and talk things over why we already have such a place my office <laughs> oh, Timmy, don't be still. And I was thinking that I would give you the key to my apartment so that when you felt like it, you could just run up and we could uh, have a cup of tea. Very well, if I should ever feel the need of a cup of tea. And, and he has nothing endearing about him, I'm sorry to say, but the professor's not endearing in any way. There's nothing lo- like soft or cuddly about him you don't even look at him and go oh but he's so cute you just kind of are like huh oh <laughs> i feel like there's one there are too many cooks in this kitchen there's one too many male leads and that's saying a lot saying i mean considering there are a lot of of major male characters in this story <laughs> there just are a lot of yeah them. it's just unfortunate like you said it's always the, it's all the peripheral characters it's all the side characters that you that you meet that you think are really the highlights of the film uh the uh the great couple on the 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 train the um with the baby with the baby <laughs> the italian uh couple. with just you know the 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 gag with trying to get the hat box on the uh on the rack and it keeps falling down on him and yeah and of course he's got that exaggerated what did the baby i got a hold of the baby, the baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh oh <laughs> uh, even and i feel like the gags uh, most of the gags in this movie were drawn out a little bit long, but I admit even I laughed when Jimmy turned and handed the baby to the total stranger. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, baby's been handed off to four men now and then he's handed off to just some random bystander. Um, it, it, yeah. It, all of the, what made this movie bearable were all of the side characters and literally all the characters except the main character are the side characters. It, it feels like if you hadn't had the main character in it, it would have been a better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Which is harsh. I know yeah. that sounds very harsh. Like, that's it is. So it's mean. rough. Yeah, it does. But it also is, you know, so let, let's talk for a moment about Harold Boyd. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think he would have been better in this? I think he would have been beautiful in this because it was interesting. I, I briefly came across a comparison saying um, that Chaplin was all emotion and Lloyd was all confidence. And and Keaton was like kind of stiff intelligence. Mm-hmm. And and I feel I I can see how this character may have been developed like by him and be something that he's confident with, like the awkward professor kind of thing, but it doesn't feel right for him. There's a short early, if I think the second short he did, maybe uh, it's called backstage and he's just a guy working backstage, you know, and it, and it's funny. It's all of course, laughs at gags. It's silent and it works very well for him, but he's not trying to be the most intelligent person in the room. And in this movie, he is. 
I think that Lloyd could have played that character. He's got that cunning, but he's also charming, which is hilarious to say because the Harold Lloyd movie we covered, of course, was a silent film. Right. How can he be charming in a silent film? He totally is. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's a a, a case of miscasting or a case of a poorly chosen character. Do you think somebody that just naturally has more personality? Uh, Everything that I understand, Buster Keaton was a a bit more of a subdued personality type. Um, Mm -hmm. You think someone that was, I don't want to use the word flamboyant. Maybe that makes it too much, but... I charming, I think, yeah. works a little bit more charming, a little more sincere. Mm-hmm. I think sincere okay. is the better word for it. Um, yeah, so so it is interesting. I think this movie, its its biggest draw is its biggest failure. Yeah, and that's the that's Keaton himself. I think there are moments if you take them out of context, there are moments that if you put it into like a a, a, a real a, a clip reel or something like that, it would it would oh, probably have you busting a gut and crying. Um, I definitely laughed at moments. Right. <laughs> I think I laughed more out of surprise though than than actual humor. I, I forced my husband to watch this movie. With me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really force him, but I said I want I want to know what you think of it. And I tried not to set him up too much because I was curious if if he would laugh more at it. I'm not a huge fan of slapstick. I, I can appreciate it, but it's not my favorite medium. But even he, his reactions, and, and he loves humor. He was kind of, oh, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know. And there wasn't, oh, it feels... I, th- I thought about it early on. It feels much more like a vaudeville show yeah, sure. than it does like a movie. And I think it would have worked brilliantly as a vaudeville show or even as maybe even as a stage play. But as a movie, I think it fits. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, again, and you're talking about Harold Lloyd. I mean, we watched the silent film and, you know, we both, uh, I, I know I shared it with my family and you and I watched mm-hmm. it and uh, and we watched it together and there are moments where you can't help but laugh out loud. Yes. And, and my family was the same way. We all had a lot of fun with that film and you're watching a silent movie and there's moments you're like, oh my God, you're, you're laughing. And in this one, yes. yeah, you're watching it and the funny stuff comes up and the best you can kind of do is go, huh. Oh, <laughs> yeah. That was, yeah. that was obviously supposed to be yeah. funny. <laughs> <laughs> I recognize Fair. the humor in this scene. <laughs> I recognize that there was humor when they were writing this. I'm sure they thought it was hilarious. Yeah. They probably had a good chuckle over this. Uh, the, uh, the other thing about this character that, that hurts it so much for me is he's so innocent, but they are clearly setting him up for certain pitfalls. You know, the the gold-digging woman, kind of that, and some other issues. You know, he's obviously... We know early on in the movie that he didn't really inherit anything. So there's, you know, but you, these these are set up and you see them set up so far in advance and they're drawn out so long that it goes from being humorous to actually being kind of painful mm-hmm. and awkward. Uh, it's, it's the same feeling I had when I was watching Meet the Parents and I just was like cringing the whole time. Like, this isn't going to turn out well. Like, you know, as... As Professor uh, Post is getting unintentionally drunk on the sofa with this woman that's got it in for him, I'm just kind of going, oh. Have you ever seriously thought of marriage? Yes. That's why I'm single. 
Well, supposing we have a nice little drink, eh? Oh, thank you. I never drink. Oh, I know, but a little Tom Collins won't hurt you. Uh, what is the nature of this, uh, Thomas Collins? Oh, um, it's sort of like, uh, lemonade, only it's made from limes, and a dash of that, and a dash of that. Sort of like a fruit compo, you know? Very nice. Sort of radiates a glow. Oh, Timmy, and that's what you need, a glow. Mm. <laughs> when she comes back out in negligee... Mm -hmm. And it's fairly risque negligee. There are a couple of this moments This is definitely pre-code. <laughs> it's absolutely pre-code. There's no actual nudity in it, but there are a couple of shots where the color of her clothing is close enough to skin tone in black and white that you cannot... It gives you a moment. Um, but when they're drunken, she's kind of rolling around, and, and I kept thinking, how, like... I was uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm a girl and I was uncomfortable. And I thought, this is way inappropriate uh, for this era. When she's, uh, yeah, she's, she's drunk and on the floor and he's trying to pick her up. And, you know, he's yeah. like folding her up <laughs> like a suitcase and her legs are in the air. And he's like, like and her, her stocking line is just bare. Yeah. Like from, you know, from hip to through the bottom of her leg. And like, they're just, there was a lot of uncomfortable in it for me. And, and even though it looked to me, honestly, the most enjoyable part about that scene was she seemed to genuinely be laughing her head off. <laughs> I think she was cracking up filming that scene. And that made it uh, at least funny as opposed to just really creepy. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not doing anything inappropriate. It's just her state of dress. You know, I thought, gosh, if I was, if this was me in the 1930s sitting next to a friend or my husband or my family watching this, I'd be horribly uncomfortable. Uh, even, you know, even sitting next to my husband, I was like, close your eyes. Yeah. <laughs> not, not seriously, but thinking, gosh, this is very. Oh, yeah. You can definitely imagine sitting in the theater in 1933 and your next year date or something like that. And you're thinking, oh, my. <laughs> oh, very. Yeah. Oh, should should I go get popcorn now? now Ima the imagining right the women kind of shielding their eyes and, you know. And, and yeah. Or, you know, coughing gently into their hankies and yep. looking away. Absolutely. I mean. Probably, y'all you know, are all going, nobody else. <laughs> <laughs> Only British people do that. <laughs> um, yeah, so there, there's a lot of the gags that were, were drawn out long enough that they could have been very funny, but they just went on too long and it made them much, much less funny. The, uh, the one guy running around the stage looking for his thing. There was a there was a gag. Not only did it run too long, it kept coming back. <laughs> and I kept wondering if I was mishearing him because people were kind of getting upset about them about him asking for his thing. No, he was saying thing. Yeah, <laughs> I just was like, what this? Wait, wow. And then yeah, you you were right. It, and then it came back. And then the payoff and isn't all that funny. I feel like it was misplaced. If it had been earlier on in the movie, it would have been very... And then you would have had the enjoyment of anticipating seeing him do this act that he never actually does. Right. But it would have been so fun for, for him to get ready to do the act and then not be able to do it and then get ready to do the act because you're thinking, there's no way this guy's going to be able to do this. There's just <laughs> no way this man in this shape is going to be able to do this particular act. 
yeah, this this rotund middle-aged father figure. Not to spoil it for anybody listening. <laughs> <laughs> there, I think there's some mispotential there. Yeah. You tap danced around that quite that spoiler quite well, actually, Lydia. I, thanks. I tried. I tried. <laughs> you you could you could be in the Speak Easily show. Well, thank you. Yeah, and and I've set it up perfectly so that our listeners, if they haven't seen this movie yet, can go and watch it and also be disappointed. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So I was going to ask if there was any moments that you really enjoy, but it sounds like it's you're much the same way I am. It's just bits and pieces and just a few lines here and there that you think, okay, that's actually pretty funny. And again, they're all kind of coming from everyone but Durante yeah. and Keaton. And and I really enjoyed Durante's part in this. I would absolutely watch another movie with Durante in it based on this movie. I would not necessarily watch another movie with Keaton on Keaton based solely on this movie. Obviously, his reputation is based on more than this one movie, so I'm not writing him off completely. But based on based on this one movie, Driety is very clearly a specific type of personality, mm-hmm. and I I love him as a side character. Uh, there, I've <laughs> sorry guys, this is going to be a, an episode about my husband. Apparently, <laughs> he's really fond of saying that there are certain actors that are great on like Saturday Night Live skits, but are awful as headliners in movies. Uh, and and I feel like Jimmy Durante is one of those people that, I feel like that he could go either way, but he's so warm and personable that he might be a great main character. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to, to kind of see, I mean, you know, everybody loves Frosty the Snowman. <laughs> <laughs> Not that he's the main character in it, but you know, uh, I'd, I'd be interested to see more of it. Um, there, there are other characters, there are other actors, I should say, in this that I would absolutely love to see them in more things. Obviously, Sidney Toller, you're going to see him again someday. I'd love to see Edward Brophy in more things. I'll go back and watch The Thin Man this week because I'll be like, well, I was thinking about that. And I'll <laughs> watch it again. Henry Armetta, who played the Italian gentleman, <laughs> it's not his name. He's called Tony. He does actually have a name in it. He's another one of those guys that's just really familiar. He, he's got a 168 acting credits. You know, you know, you've seen him in something else. You have no idea what. I would love to see more uh, Thelma Todd. Yeah. Knowing that I recognize her name and now having seen her in this, she is not my favorite character in this, but she is not a total failure. Mm-hmm. So I think every one of these characters, I would probably go back and love to see them again, some a little bit more than others. Most everyone other, and we've already kind of discussed it, er, most everyone but Buster Keaton's characters work with the actors Mm -hmm. that are portraying them. Uh, And in the situation, the setting. Yeah, Jimmy Durante doesn't seem that over the top because he's supposed to be a showman. So yes, it, exactly. that it works. And he's supposed to be an awful showman, which is even better. He's supposed to not be funny. Right. He's supposed to be directing this totally awful show. And it is awful. Right. It's so badly coordinated and, and it's badly sung. And, I, you know, it's, I think... <laughs> I think springtime for Hitler in Germany is <laughs> you can get to a comparison. And, you know, it's considering this is unintentional, too. They think it's great. They're doing the best they can. And they just, the high kicks are like knee high. 
mean, it's, you know, the really exciting, sexy dancing is a little, you know, ankle wiggle. I, I, they do a good job of pointing out how bad mm-hmm. it is. So all these characters make sense, and his character makes sense in this really horrible show. I don't think there's really much more we can say about it without just repeating what we're saying and just, I feel like (laughs) we could easily fall down the rabbit hole of actually trashing the film, and I don't want to do that. I I was really trying to think, uh, what is it about this movie that I really like? And and really, the thing that I came up with was the side characters. I would I, I love Jimmy Durante. I think is a super warm personality. Love watching him. There's something about the way the guy talks. I could just listen to him talk all day, which is really funny, but very true. Um, I don't I don't think I'd look at any of the characters that are in this with the, with the p- possible potential of uh, Pansy Pete's mother. <laughs> There is actually her mother traveling with her. It's kind of sweet. I like the idea that her mother is traveling with her. But the lady that plays her mother, uh, Hedda Hopper, I am not convinced is old enough to be her mother. I honestly (laughs) didn't know that she was supposed to be her mother until I just looked at the credits. And she was (laughs) Hedda Hopper as Mrs. Peets. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, it makes sense why she was doing what she was doing, but... Yeah, I catch from the relationship that this is a mother figure, at least. Mm-hmm. But um, I I think, you know, maybe she, she might have looked a little older. Yeah. But, uh, other than that, I think they did a good job with the with the casting for all the side characters. I think they did. I don't even know what his name was. Uh, Eleanor Eleanor's brother, whether it was really her brother or not. I think even he, when he's comes back in and is acting really infuriated about this man staying in her apartment the whole night. I think he's wonderful. That little interlude between the two of them is great. So as much as, yeah, you're right, it'd be really easy to devolve into trashing this movie. The the sad part is it's not just horrible. There's just one kind of major part that's just disappointing, and you can't get around it. And his name's the biggest one on the title card yeah. <laughs> his name is yeah the star of the mm-hmm. movie so i i feel bad saying it i was i i i'm always hesitant to negatively review first of all a very big name right i recognize that you know people become famous and popular for a reason um but also because i'm aware of my prejudice against slapstick in general mm-hmm. And so, you know, I don't want to go into it immediately saying, oh, this is going to be awful because it's a slapstick guy. You know, of course, there are really funny slapstick actors out there. Yes. Yeah. It is something that overdone, I get bored of it quickly. But in in the hands of an expert, it's going to make you laugh. Don't Mm -hmm. do your entire. I I don't want an entire film based on slapstick. You know, but if you can throw a little in here and there. Um, mm-hmm. I'm all for it. And maybe that's where this film kind of falls down is it relies so heavily on the slapstick, especially yes. in the last half, last third of the film, that mm-hmm. you're kind of going along with everything. And you're like, okay, it's fine. It's a little, okay. And then at the end of the film, the last third of the film, you're just, uh, really? <laughs> when they got to the interlude, I actually thought the movie was going to be over. And then it was just the interlude in the in the actual stage when they're actually doing the production. Mm. And I was like, oh, oh, good Lord, leave <laughs> me. I can't sit through more of this. Um, I struggled when I first sat down to watch this movie. I struggled to get 
past the first 20 minutes. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, it does get better. Yeah. <laughs> it gets better the way a bug bike. No, no. No, it, no it's not that bad. But it, it does feel like a one-liner that is just strung out. Yeah, you brought up Saturday Night Live. You're talking about some of the actors that appear on the skits in Saturday Night Live. This feels a little bit like when Saturday Night Live tries to take a popular Saturday Night Live character and make, and make a, a major motion picture out of them. And it's like, yeah, you had a skit. You had a 10-minute skit, and now you want me to sit for 90 minutes in the theater? And this would have been a hilarious 20-minute short. Yeah. This movie, condensed down to 20 minutes, would have been so funny. But at an hour and 20 minutes runtime, yeah. it's just... Yeah, honestly, if you ke- if you could have done it under an hour, you could still could have come up with something. Absolutely yeah. agree. A hundred percent agree. If this had been a ninety-minute movie, it would have been far superior to what it is. Somebody should take this movie and edit it down. Ni- ni- 90, 90 minutes is more than an hour, Lydia. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Math fail. Woo woo. <laughs> uh, yes, you're right. If this had been a fifty-minute, there you movie, go. Good lord, a ninety-minute movie. Please don't make this into a oh, movie. Oh no, guys, my gosh, die. my eyes would bleed. <laughs> yeah, this would definitely be a trashing uh, review if it was not, any longer than it was. I it feel I, I really genuinely a few times, especially my second watch through on this, I thought they must have added this in to make the runtime mm. because there because as a shorter movie it makes sense, as a shorter movie it could be funnier. But there just are some weird pauses and drawn out bits that made me think that they may have done it for runtime. Did they do that back then? I, I don't know because the runtime thing didn't seem to be as big of a deal. I mean, but a lot of films were only about an hour. So dragging yeah. this to an hour 20, yeah, seems an odd choice. Like an odd yeah. choice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> So you watched so. it a couple times. Did you, you said you, you struggled to kind of get to force your way through it the first time. Did you find it more enjoyable the second time, kind of knowing what you were getting? I admit I was very tempted to just fast forward through the first part <laughs> on my second watch through. Cause it does pick up once he, he meets up with the group and kind of things start clicking along a little bit more and fa- more quickly. Did I find it more enjoyable? On a whole, no. Okay. Um, I, I think that I picked up a few of the lines the second time through that were entertaining. Mm-hmm. But, and there were some, I, as I said, I, I did chuckle some during this movie. I, you know, I, it got me to grin a couple times. I definitely, when I had my husband watch it, there were a couple of moments of anticipation for me. The very end, for one. Uh, that that's not a snarky comment. I do like the way this movie ends, <laughs> not just because it's over. <laughs> um, I did actually like the ending of the movie. I thought it was good, but I don't think I enjoyed it more the second time. All right, interesting. How about yourself? I think I kind of did a little bit the second time, and maybe it was just because the first time I'm watching it, I'm. Maybe focusing on it too much, maybe going about it the wrong way. Uh, usually, whenever I, I watch a film, I try to watch it the first time and whatever it is, just let it flow over me and see what I think. Mm-hmm. And the second time is usually when I go at it for the more critical view. And for some reason, I think I watched this one maybe thinking I wouldn't get a second watch in because I ended up watching it a little late. And we actually had to postpone our recording, so I watched mm-hmm. it a few days before we recorded. So 
maybe just because I wasn't sure I was going to get a second watch in, I was looking at it a little bit more critically. And then when our uh, recording date postponed, I decided to watch it again the following weekend. And when I watched it that time, having already seen it the one time, I actually did find myself enjoying it a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I, I think if I did enjoy it more, it was just because it clarified for me the characters that I liked. Yes. And so I was able to pay more attention to them instead of following along, wondering what was going on. As for a couple sections in this movie, I just wasn't sure what was happening. Right. But... Um, no, I, I I think just for the sheer enjoyment of it, I don't think it increased any for me. Not to say it couldn't for somebody else. Sure. <laughs> yeah, no, it is it is a collection of interesting characters and some great uh, one-liners. But as a whole, yeah, it just kind of, it just falls a little short of the mark. I think there's probably a better version of this movie out there somewhere. I think somebody I have, made something similar that I have. would like. Oh, yeah, that I would like to see, that I would really love the main character, where the the, act, the love interest has more of a major role. Uh, the yeah. love interest in this is a bit of a minor role, mm-hmm. and more emphasis is put on the gold digger, for lack of a better name for her. She is, though. That's what she is. Yeah. Um, so there, you don't have a whole lot of time to really... I, I liked Pansy. I liked that she liked the professor. I wasn't sure why she liked him. But but I, they kind of just clicked right away. I, I can go with that. That's fine. Mm-hmm. But I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of of them. Yeah, becoming involved with each other instead of her just the, immediately these women are just latching on to this guy. Right. Instead of him <laughs> just you know being immediately smitten by her just because she's cute. He's well, that's just, normal. It, yeah. <laughs> And and her being kind of just thinking he's kind of cute. I, and yeah. You, you, you oh, effectively see them. I've never met a professor before. I right. must be in love. <laughs> Their initial meeting is really the most interaction these two yes. seem to have with each other. And it's only a few minutes at the beginning of the film. And then it's just a smattering here and there where he's yeah. just, you know, insisting that she stay in the show and... You're you're really good, and I feel like they were they could have been really cute. I feel like yeah. it, it could have been a really interesting relationship. It could have been at least like you know, oh, cute. You yeah, know? but there's so little of it. Right, they just don't and, put and, them together enough. Yeah, and and it does make me sad because I really did comparing the two women. I would have much rather seen much more of Pansy than you see of Eleanor. Eleanor. Right, uh, and we see a lot of nice. Eleanor. You see a whole <laughs> lot of Eleanor. I didn't mean it that way, but yeah, you could probably put it that way. She's, you know, she's just this nice girl, but you don't really get any appreciation for her. You just see her kind of trying to stick up for the professor instead of being her own person. Right. So, uh, so yeah, there's a. I think uh, I'm sad. I I want this movie to be better than it was. Right. And so I do want there to be another version, not of this movie specifically, but another version of this type of story. Of the story, yeah. Yeah, out there and better. As far as ratings go, I was trying, and I've been trying to talk myself into a two. (laughs) But, yeah, I just don't know if I can, especially after sitting here and talking with you about it and everything. There's just too many... Just too many little niggly problems that I have with this thing that, you know, even like we were saying, as a Buster Keaton film, this is really not a good example, at least from what I've gathered from, like you said, his reputation, Mm -hmm. that I think it would just, it's easily skippable. 
Um, if you're a big Jimmy Durante fan, knock yourself out. This go you know, check this <laughs> film out. Maybe I'll give it a one and a half to be nice. <laughs> it, this is really a film that you could skip, unfortunately. Uh, really, if you've got literally nothing to do for an hour and 20 minutes, maybe it is worth it to see these side characters because they are a lot of fun. But that's a big if. I mean, that's kind of a big... That's asking a lot for anybody just to see a bunch of side characters when you could actually see these same sort of characters in much better films. Yeah, I think you could see these actors in other films and really appreciate them more. These actors um, and I, well, and these types of characters, yes. Mm-hmm, and the, yeah. It, and it makes me sad because I maybe this is a great movie to watch as a film student because it's a really good example of how strong side characters or at least in entertaining side characters can just completely be destroyed by a very poor lead. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I feel mean saying that. I, right. I, I, I'm not trying to impugn Keaton's reputation. I, I'm not saying like Buster Keaton was an awful actor and you know, nobody should ever see, but it, it, it just, there are characters in this that are entertaining. They, they, you want to see more of, but you don't get to because the time is taken up by Keaton's character. Right. <laughs> I, it's unfortunate. There are m- movies that aren't that great that I will watch again and again because of the side characters. Absolutely. They bring that film up to that re-watchability status. Mm-hmm. This is not one of them because it's yeah. drawn down so much by everything else. Yeah, I have to agree. I and I was really going into ratings thinking I was going to give it two stars. And I, I, the things that I would give it two stars for are, it has a beginning and it ends. They right. actually did complete the film. There is an ending to it. We've watched films that don't have endings on this podcast. <laughs> uh, there are some that they end, and you're like, but there's nothing resolved. <laughs> um, <laughs> so they did manage that. There is a. There is a coherent story it's not a terribly deep story it's not terribly captivating but there is a coherent story um and and there are some some decent performances in it mm-hmm. but i don't i don't know if that's i i was thinking i was going to give it two stars and that would offset your you know your pity one and a half star but i now i'm not sure that i really can yeah um i there's there's not anything groundbreaking to it. It's not that funny. Um, it's it's easily skippable. It is really skippable. And and the, I think the reason that I can't give it two stars is because there's nothing to force me to. Mm-hmm. Like if there were anything that I could say, you know what, I want to give it one star, but this one thing is forcing me not to. Right. But there isn't anything. So yeah, I think I'll, I'll I can give it a one and a half pity star like you did. Right. <laughs> Because I I don't think everything in this movie is a total waste. I think the movie itself is a total waste, and that yes. wasted everything in it. Yep. And that's that's actually kind of a tragedy. Oh, that yeah. makes me so sad. It does. I, it is I, very sad. I didn't sad. think I would give this such a poor rating. So I guess that's called disappointment. <laughs> yes, I think that's exactly what that is. We were expecting something funny, and instead we got something meh. Meh. 
<laughs> yeah, this is the definition of meh. Yeah. <laughs> this is the definition of meh. Oh, uh-huh. so sad. And on that very rousing note. <laughs> well, before we go, you know, I mentioned Pete Quint before, who sent us that fantastic uh, five-minute mystery script that Lydia and I will be producing for you all. No, uh, no timetable on when that's actually going to happen, mind you, but it, <laughs> it will happen. But he also did send a, uh, a letter to us because he actually watched this film before we recorded. So Pete says, Good day, Lydia and Christopher. I was thrilled when you announced a film that starred both Jimmy Durante and Buster Keaton, two mega stars of early Hollywood. As mentioned, this was a pre-code film and certainly had some scandalous ladies and, heaven forbid, even excessive drinking. I even saw somewhere where this was labeled as a nudie cutie, but I'm pretty sure I either read it wrong or the author wasn't exactly sure what a nudie cutie actually was. (laughs) Needless to say, I was excited to see a crazy comedy from the Silver Age. Then I watched the movie, and while I had a few genuine laughs, packing a tall lamp into a steaming truck got me good, the movie quickly collapsed into a story with promise to utter nonsensical chaos. Instead of going over what you two already have, I will simply say that this isn't on my rewatch list. (laughs) But I enjoy playing along at home, so it was a time well spent. Thanks for all the hard work. Uh, Listening to your show is always a joy. He adds a P.S. Now, Back Room Boy, yeah, that's on my rewatch list. Nice. (laughs) That was definitely a film that we both enjoyed a lot. And that had the right mix of physical comedy without being, I guess you could call some of it slapstick. I think it just kind of falls shy of that. It wasn't over the top. Mm-hmm. And you can have over the top slapstick, but you, it's got to be in the right context. I mean, Looney Tunes, you can't oh, yeah, any yeah. more over the top. But yeah, when you've got a you know coyote blowing himself up, then you know people are less picky about the character. <laughs> <laughs> They're, they're, I, I feel like, oh, I won't go back into it. I'm so yes. glad, though, that um, that we got this letter and, and that we were right on with our, with our <laughs> review of it. <laughs> yeah, he felt pretty much the same way. He, uh, he messaged me uh, before he sent the letter, and he's just like, uh, speak easily. Huh. <laughs> I'm like, well, no well, spoilers. I said, no spoilers. I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> well, Pete, you're in good company. Yeah. I think that was our exact response to it. Yeah. Huh. Well, that was a movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that first 20 minutes, and I had to stop it. I had something else happen. I had to go do something else, and I thought, well, I'm about halfway through, and I paused it, and I was only 20 minutes in, and I thought, oh, dear God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so if you have watched this movie already, good news. You don't have to watch it again. Yes. <laughs> if you haven't, you probably still should, just so that you can, you know, decide for yourself whether we're right or not. I'd, I'd love it. I'd love if anyone has watched this film, and if especially if they disagree, if they see something mm-hmm. in this film that we don't, I'd love to get your opinion on it. That would Me be too. very interesting to see or to, I'd love to, to hear read. That. Mm-hmm. But I think for now, that is going to do it for Speak Easily. Uh, Lydia, thanks very much. You know, not all of them are winners. Uh, we've had a really good run. <laughs> so. <laughs> 
I love a bad movie. Uh, usually my version of a bad movie is a creature film, and I'll watch creature films until I die probably. But uh, every once in a while, it's kind of fun to get a stinker so we can talk about why it's a stinker and what makes the good ones good and the bad ones bad. Yeah, exactly. It makes us maybe a, 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 a little more uh, tolerant. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I want to thank everyone for tuning in and listening. And uh, I hope if you enjoyed the film, I hope you at least found it enjoyable. It found some comedy in it. And uh, let us know your thoughts. Uh, you know, write us orphanentertainment at gmail.com. Come to the Facebook page and, uh, and leave a comment there. Really appreciate it. And we will get on to uh, the five minute mystery Pete thank you so much for sending that in thank you very much for your letter it is awesome to get a little bit of feedback from uh, from our listeners so that is going to do it for this episode we'll be back next month so uh, thanks very much everyone bye everybody bye <laughs>